dear chief, much has happened since we last spoke. Welcome to Dear Chief Podcast, where your hosts and their guests share the 411 of being married to the people who respond to 911s. Take a peek into fire family life and get unabashed advice on how to prevent forest fires in your marriage. Now, here's your hosts, two seasoned firewives, Audra and Chelsea. All right, welcome back. Today we have Josh Satley to talk to us about a topic that doesn't always sit well with people. It's one we've touched on before, administrative betrayal. We've talked about it from an advocacy standpoint, but we haven't really uh, dove into it from the perspective of the employee experiencing it. So thank you for being with us today, Josh. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Welcome, Josh. I'm actually kind of excited for this conversation but we are going to press preface it with this episode is going to include controversial topics. And we want the conversation to start with a conversation with the disclaimer. The opinions on the show are strictly our own and do not represent any singular person, agency, or organization. With that, Josh Satley is a 40 year old husband, father of four veteran firefighter paramedic of 11 years in Beverly Hills, who was placed on unpaid leave on October 1st because he refused to be vaccinated against COVID-19 and has since joined the board of firefighters for freedom. So we just want to be clear. This episode is not about whether you are for or against vaccinations. This is not a vaccination podcast. We're not doing that here. Um, We believe the decision of whether or not to be vaccinated is a personal choice. and should be weighed by each individual based on what they and their doctors feel is healthy for themselves. And I want to be clear. Some of my views don't align with yours, Josh, but that's okay because we're all human and we should all be listening to each other. So we're not going to discuss politics or berate any political leaders currently in office. That's also not what we're here for today. Simply want to hear your story on administrative betrayal. So we're going to dive in. Josh, tell us a little bit about your history as a firefighter. Sure. Um, So I joined uh, Beverly Hills Fire Department in 2011, um, and for me, it was a dream come true. Uh, Every firefighter I think that you ever talk to will tell you that they love what they do. It takes, uh, you know, thousands of hours of training and volunteer time and testing, and it takes effort and, you know, stress and all these different things to finally become a firefighter. So when you get a job at, for me, my dream department, where I was planning on retiring from, um, it was very exciting. My wife and I was an answer to our prayers. We we're very excited about it. And I loved every day driving in. There was a lot of days I'd drive into work and I was like, man, I can't believe I'm working here in Beverly Hills. This is so amazing, you know, and, you know, going on, on calls with the guys, you're cruising down Rodeo Drive. People are taking pictures. I mean, they're lined up taking pictures of fire engines. You're like, this is just a bizarre world that we're living in. People want to take pictures with us. You know, I mean, we've had celebrities stop to take pictures with us. It just, it just seems so bizarre. But at the same time, we did the real job there. We helped people. We had a high level of service. We cared about each other. Um, and really it was just a meaningful career. Um, and so for me, you know, being away from my home for at least 120 days a year, um, sometimes more, sometimes it was more than half the year I was away from my family. Um, you know, you want to be with people that it's like your second family. So you want to be with those individuals at an organization that you respect and that you love. And, 
that's what it was for me. And, and it all changed though and came crashing down um, in August, in all honesty, when um, all of a sudden <laughs> I, I felt betrayed by our admin. Um, I mean, there's, that's a long story leading up to that, but you know, from there till now, it's been nothing but a betrayal and it's been heartache. It's been, I feel, I definitely feel like my heart's been ripped out and I've been stabbed in the back. Um, I'm not the only one. I know a lot of other individuals there feel the same way. I mean, morale is at an all time low. They've completely killed, um, anything that was of good worth there as far as good mental health, you know, people complain because firefighters have blue lazy boy chairs. we watch movies together. We play games together, whether it's racquetball or pickleball or basketball. Um, but those are all really for mental health and cohesion with crews. Um, and without that, it becomes so sterile that you begin to have bad morale. You have a bad attitude and that will show itself on the streets. When you go to pick up a bum at 1230 in the middle of the night, you're not happy about it. And that's just the way that it is. Um, and so having a good mental health just leads you to have a good attitude about everything else. Not to mention, and we talked about this on a recent live on Firefighters for Freedom, which is a mental health aspect of this, that cops and firefighters, frontline workers, military, higher rate of suicides, higher rate of depression, higher rate of substance abuse. And you got to wonder why, why is that? And there's been studies done on this for years and years and years. And COVID has only increased um, those issues. Um, I remember in the beginning, we had to put on the full PPE on every call. And the way we worked, we had we had a new paramedic. So he was doing all the patient assessments. So he had to wear all this stuff on every call, every time. And I remember talking to the captain and the crew. It's like, we need to swap him out because just the psychological effect that that has on you, you're isolated. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. And then also you're like right in front, you're right there facing the unknown danger at the time of COVID, whether you're going to contract to bring it home to your family and die. And that was the honest thought. So it was that whole stress and psychological factor that was building up in everybody. And then at the same exact time, they took away our gyms. They took away any kind of really physical activity we could do to release some of that stress. They took away the crew cohesion of us being able to sit close to each other and talk and comfort each other and, and have that peer support that all went away. So yeah, there's been a lot, <laughs> there's been a lot that has happened and a lot of it has happened from admin that has, allowed a lot of these things to happen. And I think it just continued on the path to where we're at now um, and what he's doing. So long story short. So I want to read something from a person that we've had on our show before. It's from Alex. Um, she describes administrative betrayal like this. It's the act of deliberate disloyalty and occurs when leadership fails to protect their members during a time of vulnerability, therefore include inducing harm by neglecting to react in a way that meets the basic needs of the first responder. It involves leadership violating one's trust in them, leading to resentment, emotional distress, and the decrease of organizational morale. What you just described is administrative betrayal. I don't care if it's because of COVID. I don't care if it's because of I, there is no excuse for it, like on this planet that would satisfy me. What has happened to our firefighters through this pandemic, I believe is unacceptable. Yeah. And unacceptable. And so for that, on that, I think we agree, like 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would and say I that. I'm sorry. 
on behalf of humanity, I am apologizing to you. I am sorry. Well, I appreciate that, but it's really the leadership or lack of leadership. It's their responsibility. She, she nails it with the definition and that's how I've felt for so long. I mean, leading up to this, we always knew we had a weak chief. We knew he was a guy that was a people pleaser. He cared more about, um, he cared more about his relationships with city council and doing photo ops. than he did a care about, you know, coming down and just having a cup of coffee with the guys and getting to know his men. <clears throat> right. And so that, that speaks a lot to a leader. For example, um, I was uh, prepping for this last captain's exam in November. Um, and some of the reading material that he gave us to read was Jocko Willenick's book, Extreme Ownership. However, in the whole time of this pandemic, since August, he said, hey, my hands are tied, guys. I have no control over what the county is doing. We have to enforce this. And I've had, I had a personal conversation with him where I said, well, it's, it's, a, it's on the department to enforce this county mandate, right? Yeah. So in 2013, I don't know if you guys were aware of this or not, but there was a flu vaccine mandate in 2013 in L.A. County where you had to have that or wear a mask or you just sign a declination form. And it was on the departments to enforce that. So I said, are we going to enforce it the same way? Well, again, my hands are tied. We have to do this a certain way. Well, every other department in L.A. County um, has accepted all religious exemptions. No, no questions asked and let guys just continue on their duties like they were before. Our department, his hands were tied, um, has decided to de- deny eight exemptions. You know, mine was included and they segregated um, crews of anybody who had an exemption that was accepted. Now they segregated them and they're not letting them go on 911 EMS calls. Um, they had since made a deal um, on Monday, but for almost six months or five months, those people were segregated and discriminated against um, and not allowed to touch the community. The level of service was downgraded um, with a roadmap that the chief told city council, the city manager and HR director, hey, I know how to get these guys out of the community. Let's put them on the truck and they're not going to touch anybody. They're not going to go on 911 EMS calls. So he gave them the roadmap. So as a leader, not only did he not stand up for us. Now he's throwing us completely under the bus and showing, giving them a roadmap on how they can dis- discriminate against our, our members. Um, and put a huge strain on yeah. the paramedics. That- exactly. I mean, and, and until, so Monday, that's another long story. Um, but now everything's somewhat back to normal, quote unquote. But there, like you said, there's a huge strain because now they're hiring vaccinated paramedics only that have to run all the calls. And that's not fair to those guys either. It's not their fault that they're vaccinated and now they have to run all the calls. The guys that are unvaccinated have an exemption. Now they have to sit and do nothing, you know? And so it, it did create kind of a rift on top of the poor morale. There's guys that are getting forced hired more than others just because of their back status. So it's discriminatory on both sides. And like you said, whether you believe in this thing or you don't, doesn't really matter. I love to be able to have the conversation with anybody, though. And my whole thing is, yeah, you should be able to have the right to do whatever you want. And that includes me just saying, no, hey, I'm cool with that. If you want to take it, cool, take it. But to discriminate somebody because they have it or they don't have it is completely wrong. And our chief has just perpetuated all that. And he knows it, though, too. I mean, he doesn't show his face around the station anymore. Is from what I hear from the guys, he, he knows that he has betrayed everybody. He won't look people in the eyes. I mean, he's, he's a complete coward. I had, um, I had my Skelly hearing on Monday, which was my appeal process to me being put on leave without pay before I'm terminated. He issued my termination paperwork back in December, December 15th via email. And in the email, he couldn't even 
bring himself to say anything other than Josh, please see attached documents from HR. That's all he says. So this is my leader. You know, this is the person that's responsible for me. If I were to die, he's responsible for my funeral and all my arrangements, right? If I die on duty and it's like, he doesn't even know anything about me. He doesn't care about me, obviously. So then the Skelly hearing comes up where he has the ability and should take the responsibility, extreme ownership to be in that Skelly pro uh, process, to be able to heal, hear um, my appeal and listen to my attorney to why, you know, I shouldn't be fired. Well, he doesn't have the courage to show up to that. He wasn't participating. He didn't participate in that. They had the retired police chief sit in as the Skelly hearing officer, which to me was just a, a you know, demonstration of the lack of his character that he has. He just, he just doesn't, you know, he just can't face us. And it's an obvious reason why. So for, let me back up for a second for on the sure. Skelly meetings. Um, is the fire chief usually involved in those or are they looking for like an unbiased person who. The uh, fire chiefs have been involved in those in the past with more controversial um, skellies than mine okay. Con with, with skellies where people actually did something wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were in there to listen to the appeal. And it really is just an opportunity for us to, Hey, why are you firing me? These are your reasons and have my attorney kind of argue. So if mm -hmm. he's the one who's firing me, he should be the one that listens, and especially as a firefighter, how we stick together. You would think that he would take that ownership and say, no, it's my guy. I'm responsible for him. I'm going to stand up and tell him why he's being fired. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. he can't, he can't do it. I mean, it doesn't have to be him, but it, it should have been. Should have been at the very least someone from within the department. Like, okay, fine. You don't want to, you don't want to show up as the chief. Fine. At least send a representative representative that's in the department. Yeah. I mean, it, what does this retired police chief know? Absolutely nothing. No, nothing. He, yeah. I mean, he he, on that piece of paper and that's it. Exactly. I mean, I'm sure that it didn't change the outcome regardless, even if he was in there, you know, it, it probably would never change the outcome. Um, but you know, the chief that for me, it was a chance to get on the record too. again, more betrayal that he did in the beginning of this, the chief tried to exclude himself and the deputy chief out of the mandate to begin with. Hey, we don't even fit into this thing guys, but you guys do. Sorry. So he's, he's throwing us under this mandate willing to terminate us if we don't comply, um, which he never said, by the way, because he was too much of a coward to say that too. He just said, you have to be vaccinated or, you know, wouldn't tell us. We, we tried to grill him on that. He said he was exempted because he wasn't in patient contact, but he has an active EMT card, which in LA County requires him to have it. He mm -hmm. carries a medical kit. He has to render aid if he comes upon a car accident or something like that. He has a duty to act as well. Mm -hmm. So for him to exclude himself brought up a lot of questions for us guys on the floor. We're like, hmm, that's kind of weird. Then, you know, there was the whole discouragement of us trying to even submit religious exemptions. He, um, you know, said you had to either be Dutch reformist or Christian scientist, which didn't really add up. Right. I mean, that's not correct. And then he never corrected it, even like later when we questioned him about it. Um, it, there was never any clear process on how we were to proceed. So there was zero help, zero help from our chief on how we could proceed through this process and just continue operating and doing the job that we've been doing since the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, we were called heroes back in June and now those of us that weren't vaccinated and were seeking exemptions were under extreme criticism from nurses at the hospital, from chiefs, from the community, from local papers. I mean, they were, you know, criminalizing us because we wanted to exercise our own. Uh, religious beliefs and our own medical freedom. And 
they were, I mean, high criticism. They were throwing us into the same guy, you know, the same categories, guys that were committing insurance fraud and all these other things. And it's like, hold on a second. We're doing this really, we're exercising our rights. We're not, we're not trying to circumvent. We're not trying to cheat. We're not trying to lie. If that were the case, we could have got a fake vaccine card, you know, but we're trying to go about it the right way through the right process. And none of us were even denying like, Hey, I don't agree with daily testing. I don't agree with wearing a mask all the time, but Hey, I get it to keep the community safe. I was willing to do it. And those were the, you know, a few accommodations that we had to change. We can go back to work. No problem. Um, but so they didn't offer test to stay. No, they, they only, if you had an exemption accepted, then they would test only those that have exemptions. So guys that were vaccinated weren't tested. So I'm really confused because all of the state stuff that's come out that says we're going to implement mandated vaccines, right? Mm-hmm. Unless there is, and it, and it says this, unless there is a religious or ideological problem. So if it doesn't, if it goes against your ideals or your religion, you can opt out, but you have to test. So if the state is following this guideline, what makes LA County different? So LA County, LA County can be more restrictive. And then the city claims we can be more restrictive too. Where they cross the line was that, yeah, you're right. You can have a religious and it's very vague. Because human rights Title Seven, it just says you have to have a deeply held religious belief or even an ideological belief. Um, so it has to be. It's very vague, very vague. So essentially, you can be an anti-vaxer, and that's your ideal. You said it. <laughs> I said. I mean, it. I, mean I, and I'm, I don't agree. With have, that. I'm not no, an anti-vaxer by any means, like at all. Like my kids got all their vaccines. Mm. Um, an ideological thought. And there was one member who had very strong ideals and he was more of a naturalist. He didn't say anti-vaxxer, but he was a naturalist, right? He he's like, I'm not necessarily religious, but he's a naturalist and they accepted his. So the arbitrary nature in which they didn't accept ours didn't make sense. And they never given us any reason or justification. So to me, do you mind telling us what religious example, what religion you told them you were? I'm Christian. So I said, I'm Christian. So evangelical, non-denominational, like just because I'm curious. Sure. I actually, uh, so I actually grew up LDS and I told them that I was LDS, but I identify just as Christian. So I'm just Christian. That's a whole nother long story. But (laughs) even, even with that said, that should suffice because I mean, that came, you know, well, what about, you know, what about the prophet? What about the Pope, right? If you're Catholic, the Pope says you can be vaccinated. Well, Title VII affords you the ability to have a differing opinion from church leadership. So you don't have to go in line with what Catholics do. You're allowed to have your own personal revelation. You're allowed to have your own answer as to what that vaccine means for you and your family. The Pope doesn't know if you have medical. You're not Catholic. And I'm not Catholic. So I'm using it, yeah, as an example. So, um, but that's kind of the way it goes. And so LA County said you had to have a religious exemption or a medical exemption or be vaccinated. So that was it. And then if you had those, then it was a testing option. So it was similar to the state, but the city of Beverly Hills just went left rudder. And I, I don't know. I can't explain why they did what they did. It's, it, it exposes they have an ulterior motive, but what it yeah. is, I mean, question. Hollywood and they have so many actors coming in from all over the place. I mean, that's but the only reason. I can possibly think that they would be um, 
this ridiculous. Well, I have I have a couple of theories, but as you said, I, ideals, right? And I think that the city council, they're, they're, they have these ideals, but it's po po very opposite of what mine are. They're very extreme to the other side with certain things. And, but I think ultimately their God is money. When it comes down to it, they care about their bottom line. They care about the reputation. And I think for them, they were probably looking at getting 100% vaccinated workforce in the fire department as a feather in the hat. Like, hey, look at us. We're the first ones to have a truly 100% vaccinated workforce. And they were trying to, to scare us and coerce us. They, you know, broke it up into little sections so that we wouldn't have, you know, 22 guys off duty at one time because that would decimate the community. They did a little section. Most of the guys either, you know, caved and took it. Um, and then there was me, you know, so they didn't really plan on that. They just thought we'd all take it. And then they would do the next group later because the exemptions originally, those guys, there was 14 of them. They had a 30 day expiration date on their exemptions. So explain like, why would that be? Why would their views change in 30 days? You know, like no one's views, especially religions change typically in 30 days the other way. You so know, once like, you've oh, had that exemption, they give you a 30 day expiration yeah. date on that exemption. And then after the 30 days, what do you do? Do you reapply for the exemption or? It was, it was very unclear, but the head okay. of HR, she said that after 30 days, you would possibly be subjected to another interview in another application. So, yeah, so she was going to reevaluate whether these exemptions were still good. Um, and, and that's that's what she told them. We did through, I think, efforts um, through exposing what they were doing on social media and some negotiations behind the scenes with the attorney. I think we were able to sway them uh, to change their mind and extend all religious exemptions, I'll say temporarily and definitely. <laughs> OK, so let's talk about let's go back to. When you got placed on unpaid leave, how did that feel? Huh. I mean, how, like, what did you, what did you do? What were your first thoughts? What was your family's thoughts? What did your wife say? <clears throat> yeah. Um, I'm going to try to keep my emotions out of this because it's always very, it's okay. um, so my wife and I on September 30th, we knew that judgment was coming down. We knew we were supposed to get an email that night, whether we had an accepted exemption or not. So we went to the beach with two other families that were in the same boat as us, very close friends, and just tried to have an unstressful day because the whole month of September, honestly, was hell. It was it was torment. I mean, I had to go home from work out of the amount of stress that I was feeling. I mean, I thought I was having a heart attack. I was having palpitation, shortness of breath. Um, it was real. I mean, real stress. And we were all feeling it. Um, it was heavy. And so that night, <clears throat> went to dinner. And I remember out at dinner, we got the email, uh, probably seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. We finally, we were waiting all day. It's all we talked about. We were trying to relax and take our mind off. It just didn't work. And then we were there at dinner and there's three of us, two of us, uh, found out it was denied and the other, you know, found out that it was accepted. And I just remember we just kind of embraced ourselves, you know, embraced each other. And we're definitely, uh, crying. We were really upset. Didn't really know what we were going to do. And, and the one who was denied was my really, really good friend. He's my best friend there. He's my partner there. And, you know, he's there with his family and I just, he didn't know what he was going to do. And we've had this conversation a thousand times and he's like, Josh, this is all I know. This is what I do. You know, I mean, I have a construction background and other things. So it's like, Hey, I'm willing to walk. I'm willing to go find something else. If I have to, it's not worth it to me. It's not worth my freedom. It's not worth my health. So that night I remember driving home and my wife and I looked at each other and it's like, do we stay and fight or do we just pack it up and go to Idaho? Our plan was, Hey, we're going to go to Idaho and I'm going to build houses in Idaho, you know? And we'll figure it out. You know, God is going to provide for us. And that night we just, I mean, we said that and immediately after we were just like, 
no, we're going to stay and we're going to fight. And for me, it was like, I'm going on, I'm going on social media, I'm going on Instagram and I'm telling the world everything that's happening. And my wife's like, yeah, good luck. Good luck with that, honey. You know, like I had like hundred followers, but I just wanted to expose, I wanted to expose what the city was doing because it was so wrong. And I felt compelled to protect my brothers and my sisters, not only uh, at Beverly Hills, but wherever I could, if I could help inspire somebody, if I could help prevent this from happening to somebody else, that was really my goal. But I still had that empty feeling, you know, of losing my career, losing something I loved and my passion. And uh, I knew that, you know, termination was most likely coming. We didn't, we didn't know because the chief never told us what would happen. So we were just kind of like still sitting with the unknown. And that next day, um, I remember I reached out to Firefighters for Freedom and, and I put a couple of posts on Instagram. We woke up the next morning and, uh, and my wife woke me up and she's like, Josh, you're <clears throat> sorry your phone is blowing up. She's like, you need to check this. And I had so much support and so much love from so many people. I mean, almost everybody in the department was contacting me. I've had, you know, Firefighters Freedom reached out and had a very honest conversation with Jeff Burmeister and all these other individuals. And so many people were like coming to really our rescue um, at the moment to see whatever they could do to help. And um, it wasn't until that night uh, about, I think it was five or six o'clock, right before I went on um, a live with Jeff on Firefighters for Freedom, um, they sent me an email. It was Shelly for the head of HR. She was the one who originally emailed me and said, Josh, I reviewed your religious exemption and I decided to deny it. That's all she said. So then the next night she sent me an email and said, yeah, you're now placed on leave without pay and you're relieved of duty. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it went on to restrict my first amendment rights. She tried to put me on a work schedule. Um, it was honestly pretty comical to read. <laughs> um, she wanted me on a work schedule Monday through Friday eight to five to be available for calls and meetings when I'm not being paid. Um, and I'm being relieved of duty. I'm like, I, I didn't know what that was about. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I knew it was coming and I was prepared for it, uh, but it doesn't make it easy at all. It still was a really heavy blow. And uh, again, it, uh, you know, it's really emotional for me. And it was hard for the wife and I, uh, but we were prepared for it. We knew it was coming. Even, the skelly and being terminated it's like hey i know it's coming but when i get the letter or i have the meeting it's uh it just brings up so many feelings and emotions i mean like i was telling you guys before i mean this was my dream job and it's being stolen from me um so it it weighs heavy on my heart you know it's very difficult yeah i think the frustration is really obvious um and i mean I think we've all been extremely frustrated with the last two years that have transpired. Um, so obviously your chief, the administration has not offered you any help. No, <laughs> the, the guys there at the station have been very generous and loving and kind, you know, I mean, we're, we're family. They, every paycheck, they'll send me, you know, a little bit of money um, to try to help out, which has been great. You know, it's not everybody, but there's, you know, a good portion of the guys there that support me and support my, my decision. Um, the leadership has, I would say some of the leadership has reached out as far as some of the battalion chiefs, but they're kind of limited in what they say they can do. But again, I mean, I, I don't know. The chief himself, though, has obviously not done anything. I mean, he's just kind of hidden in his office. He hasn't um, really done anything. He wouldn't even, like I said, he wouldn't even appear in the skelly, which I thought was kind of a slap in the face as well. It's like, 
I would rather have the conversation with my chief to his face. I mean, a person that I've worked with and who was responsible for me. Um, instead, he, you know, he can't even show his face in this meeting. So let me ask you a question. Prior to COVID, how was the relationship with the chief? Um, honestly, he's, he, he's a nice guy. I'm not okay. going to lie. He's a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants people to like him. Um, so you could have a conversation with him. He's, he always had an open door policy, but we always kind of knew he was weak when it came to real serious issues. And we knew where his loyalty lied and it wasn't with us. Right. Mm-hmm. We always knew that. We always knew that he preferred having a relationship with the city council and all this kind of stuff. And in the city of Beverly Hills, we understand that that has to be that way because it's a very political city. When you want to become the chief, you really have to politic because they, you know, they, they really want someone that they can jive with and, you know, ultimately kind of control like we see in this situation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, leading up into COVID in the beginning, it was like, yeah, this is, it's been weak leadership and poor decisions from the beginning. And I'm talking top down, I'm not going to mention any names, but really top down weak leadership and poor decisions have been made. Um, and then people haven't really been stepping up to do anything to defend those who need to be defended. And ultimately what it comes down to is serving the community. So if he wants to serve the community the best way possible, then as a leader, it's your obligation and duty to make sure your guys have everything they need and they're taken care of. I mean, that's leadership 101 to make your guys need to eat. They need to sleep. They need to use the restroom and they need to have good morale. And then they're going to they're going to you know do the rest for you to their best ability and just let them go, you know, unleash them. But it seems like. He didn't have the ability to do that. <clears throat> Or the willingness to do that, I would say. I mean, there was there were several morning meetings we had with him with all the staff. And <clears throat> he would just say, what do you want me to do? You want me to get fired? It's like, yeah, I want you to push back. And it would have been better had you got fired. And in the same breath, he's like, well, I had, I had to write up a 30% reduction plan for the city council. I'm like, okay. So you just showed them how to, you know, decrease the service to the community. Based, It's like, that's not what's best for the community. 30% reduction plan would mean that we would have less, you know, less ambulances, less engines, less personnel. We're already a pretty small city. Um, and after like peak hours, I'm talking noon to three or four midweek, we're already depleted. Like we use all our resources in just a handful of calls, three calls, everybody's gone. Then we're calling on LA County. We're calling on LA city for help. Um, those cities are, or those agencies are having staffing shortages too. LA County or LA city. I'm sorry, is down 25% personnel every day. So that means they're browning out rescues, they're browning out engines, whatever it is. They don't have the personnel to fill those seats. LA County, they don't transport. So we're waiting on a private ambulance, which may or may not get there. They were having delayed response times. I'm talking 30 minutes to an hour or even more. So that's the level of service you're exposing the city to. And we need to provide as much as we can, whenever we can. So if we have to brown out a rescue or we don't have the personnel to fill, I mean, not to mention forcing the guys to work all the time, they're getting burned out. I mean, during the Omicron back in December, you know, everyone's getting sick. It didn't really matter across the lines. Everyone's getting sick at this point, um, you know, and then we have to force these other guys to be there for 14 or 20 days straight. We don't have a limit on how long we can work. You know, pilots do, truck drivers do, doctors do, and other departments and agencies do, but we don't. So guys can work essentially 14 days straight. And I don't think the normal public knows how much of a stress that is on you. That's it's very difficult to do, especially inside the station. Um, we'll do it regularly on wildland strike teams 
you know, three week deployment or whatever, but it's, it's almost a little different on your psyche. Cause you're out, you're out and about, you're traveling, you're doing these things with being in the station for 14 days straight. It takes a toll, especially under these conditions. Like I mentioned earlier, it's very difficult to do. It's not healthy for these guys on both sides. And, um, it's just, it's really just been, you know, a shit show since August till now for these, for these guys at the station. And, and I'm talking, not just my department, but I've talked to guys all over the country and it's very similar. A lot of the similar problems, a lot of the similar problems with leadership, um, with unions with that aren't stepping up. They're not doing anything. They're taking a back seat. Um, so it's, everyone's being disappointed, um, with the lack of leadership bridging the gap, you know, between city and staff. And that's what they're there for because they know how this, uh, you know, how the operations go. They have the training, they have the certifications, so just to allow an HR manager or city manager to tell them how to operate their, you know, their department is very disturbing. They so your, your union department. rep also was not helpful, has not been helpful? I have an association and I think they've been as helpful as they could be, okay. um, you know, up to a certain point. Um, and then after that, I just feel like they were kind of, they were kind of just, in my opinion, I feel like they're just kind of over it. You know, it's very exhausting for them. It is exhausting. It's yeah. very exhausting. I don't mm-hmm. blame them in that sense. I'm right. one individual that they're fighting for. So it's been difficult. And I, I I don't agree with their legal team. I don't like the legal team that they've had. I've been very open about that the whole time. I've told them that. Um, and but we kind of kind of been stuck with them. And you guys have so the FRF has your own legal team now, correct? So yeah, different. Uh-huh. So FRF has their own legal team. We're using Scott Street, John Howard. Um so, but me, yeah, FRF, a lot of those guys are LA city. So they have different union, they have different leadership. So I'm, I was by myself um, for a while, just as a sole Beverly Hills guy. And they've always kind of adopted me and took me under their wing. And then just recently they had an opening on board and that's when I had an opportunity to join. And um, you know, the goal is to, to make a difference. And that's all we want to do. I don't care about fame or glory or any of that crap. I just, I want to make a difference. Like I said, from the beginning, I want, I want this to stop and I don't want this to happen to other individuals. Um, it really is torment. And I'm talking for cops and for nurses and for doctors. It, it's not right. It should not be happening. And I think the undoing of all of this turmoil is going to take a really long time yeah. to be loyal and trust administration and your city and the people that you work for. Um, and it's really hard because I don't think the citizens understand the situation that it puts the firefighters and the city workers in. Um, and it really messes with you guys' morale. And it's really toxic for everybody involved, regardless of whose side of the aisle you stand on. It's just, um, it's really painful to watch. Uh, very unfortunate. I'm so sorry you guys have to deal with this. It's absolutely ridiculous. I it blows my mind sometimes. Um, kind of crap that's going on, and even you know, not just not just this, just in general, the 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 way that it's been just is handled is just mind blowing to me. I just I don't know how I don't know where you go from here. I guess right. It's like what. Do you think you could ever just go back to work and say tomorrow all of this crap goes away and there's no more mandates and, you know, all, all is semi-return to normal? Do you, just, do you just go back on the engine and pretend like any of this 
you know, didn't happen or what? what that's a doing? great, that's a great question. And I talk about my wife all the time and I've had other people say the same thing, like, well, would you even want to go back? And <laughs> it's a very complicated question because everything that's happened in all honesty. And I think those that are going through it would agree with me. There's, there's such a level of trauma. It's almost like dealing with a death and it's really stirred up a lot of, um, you know, personal challenges, I would say, and relationship challenges uh, over the last several months that I'm working through. So to go back, it would, again, be like dealing with the trauma that I'd have to work through. Um, and it would be very difficult. And, you know, guys that are there right now, they're having a hard time. And some of them are even telling me like, dude, I don't want to be here. And um, so it's, it's difficult to think about. And I don't think the community understands too how dangerous that is. So in our profession, it's very dangerous, especially cops. You don't want to be there. That means that your head's on a swivel. You're not paying attention to your situation. You can step out in a traffic and get hit by a car and you're dead. You could, you know, be in a fire, and not pay attention to what the fire is doing, what you've been taught all these years and your experience teaches you. You get complacent because you're distracted with just not wanting to be there because you haven't slept or you miss your family or you're pissed about the mandate or your chief is telling, giving you orders that don't make any sense and you don't trust them anymore anyways. So that could be dangerous for you as well. Um, so it's, it's a very complicated question and I honestly don't know. I really don't know where I sit at this point. I have to work through it. Um, I will tell you that I am testing at other agencies. There is hope for individuals like me who have been disappointed, who have been fired, who have been let go. Um, there are other agencies out there that want us. There are other agencies out there that believe in our medical freedom and, you know, they haven't had to deal with the mandate yet, but they will move forward by just accepting exemptions and letting you work. Um, other ones don't even have to deal with that yet. Um, and they're looking for seasoned experienced firefighters where this is all that we do. Or maybe this is all that we're good at. So those guys, they can take a stand and have the knowledge, you know, and have the, I think, encouragement to know that there's other places out there. Back in September, when this happened to me, it was like, it was a big question mark. I had no idea if anybody else, I, you know, you think everybody feels this way. And it was so early in the game, nobody knew what would happen moving forward, but I've had chiefs reach out from other departments. I had so many members from other departments reach out and say, Hey, you come work here. We'd love to have you. And there's other departments that are putting out job flyers that it's obvious that they want these experienced guys from these departments that they would not otherwise get. And um, I think that's just, none of, them, none of those flyers say you have to be vaccinated. <laughs> good point. I know that one did and they actually had to change it. And then they got more applicants after they changed it. You're absolutely hmm. right. I mean, they don't care. They want, they want good quality guys regardless. And, you know, it, it's a, it's an interesting topic we can always discuss because people on the other side and I value their opinion, you're allowed your opinion and I value it. And I value the conversation and even the discussion. And even if we disagree at the end, we can still respect each other. Exactly. But I don't care like going on a call, a 911 call, we don't care who it is. And I would never treat someone differently based off of their personal choices. Yes. So when I hear like doctors are discriminating and not wanting to treat unvaccinated patients, that blows my mind. Um, I don't I can't tell you how many narcotic overdoses we've been on. And if I just said, Oh, that idiot, they did this to themselves, and I'm just gonna let them die, or maybe they'll breathe through it. I don't know. Let's just watch and see what happens. It's so calloused and cold and evil. That's not, that's not what we signed up to do. And we would never do that. So if, if you heard of a fire crew doing that, it's insane. And that would blow the community's mind. So I don't understand why a doctor can say that. And it's acceptable. Yeah. We would never discriminate against, Hey, your house is burning, but you guys aren't vaccinated. Can't go in there. Or you guys are vaccinated. I'm not touching it. You know, that's just, that's just so wrong. I, we don't care who you yeah. are. 
what color your background, nothing. We, we go, when you call, you need help. We're there. And we're that's the pay. hypocrisy of it all. Right. It's, exactly. It's, and I tell my husband that, I mean, we talk about this all the time. I'm not, if I'm calling 911, I'm not asking you if you're vaccinated, come and save my house or save my kid or whatever the call is. I don't care. I just need you to come and help me. I'm right. You know, if I, if I had that mindset that I didn't trust somebody, if I was calling 911, uh, we'd have a huge problem. Right. So probably not an emergency. Exactly. You know, um, not a real emergency. If you're, if you're questioning that. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I actually, my mom just experienced that her doctor said if she didn't get her booster shot, that they weren't going to see her as a patient anymore. And she's like, I'm absolutely not getting a booster shot. Um, they're actually telling her she may have an injury from the vaccine, from the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. And they're telling her, but you should go get a booster. Like zero sense. I get it. That's a great point. I mean, so we have a lot of guys. So February 1st in LA County was, uh, it was the deadline to be boosted and they actually moved it back to March 1st. Now arbitrarily just picked it. So this is such a important thing to have. They can just move it back to March 1st, right? If it's that important to life and safety, you would, you would keep the deadline regardless of the Super Bowl or whatever the motives are, but they moved it back to March 1st. But come March 1st, we're going to have probably 80% of the guys in the department not meet that criteria anymore. That's going to be guys that have had the vaccine, but they're like, yeah, I don't want the booster. I'm good. You know, like, so I don't know what the city's going to do. I, you know, they haven't come up with any policy. They've had meetings that the association hasn't been allowed to go to. And that's, you know, across LA County um, and across the state, people are dealing with that. San Jose actually is dealing with that. Now they didn't push the deadline for them because the Super Bowl is not up there, but they're putting guys, they're walking guys off the job. They walked them off yesterday. Which totally doesn't, Makes sense to me because they're actually saying that if you've had Omicron, like that you don't even need the booster because you have natural immunity now. Like, so what is the booster even doing? Like so many people have had COVID at this point. Like I thought we weren't getting into a vaccination argument. We're not getting into a vaccination <laughs> argument. I thought we weren't talking about the vaccination. It makes no sense. Like what he's like, the words that are coming out of their mouths are making no sense. Well, it's the inconsistency of it all that it makes no sense, right? It's not, yeah, it's the inconsistency of all of it is the issue is yeah, there are, a, there's no, no, every single department has their own rules that it's like, yeah. this is bullshit. I'm sorry. Like yeah. literally was talking from a, to a guy, I was actually in Hollywood recently um, and went and watched Jimmy Kimmel live. Um, and we were standing in line and there was a guy standing behind us that was from Florida. And we were literally just having this conversation, two completely different states, completely across the country, right? From each other. And he was like, it's the inconsistency that people are losing faith in the system. If they, if they never had a faith in the system before, then they certainly don't have it now. And, you know, if we had just had one voice one consistent message. We may not even be in this mess to begin with, but it's just, none of it makes sense. None of it adds up. And like I said, at the beginning of the show, I am not an anti-vaxxer, but I am definitely an anti-misinformation person, like period. Sure. Right. I mean, it brings up a lot of questions and being a paramedic, um, every, so one of the biggest questions I ever had, it's like, 
First of all, we don't have pre-hospital treatment for this thing. There's been no good policies or procedures that have come out zero to treat. It's just, Hey, just transport. And in the beginning it was don't transport, you know? And then in the beginning too, it was like, actually don't give the people even oxygen if they need it. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I've seen people take their last breath and I'm not doing that again. Um, so that was a big question. And the other question was every medication that we give, there's indications, contraindications, and there's always something negative to every drug. So when they say, yeah, I'm sorry, hey, I know you don't want to get into it. But I'm just saying when there's no, I, I would say there's no dissenting opinion, even allowed or, dis, or discussion allowed to be had. It's just like, okay, well, why? You know, it's just like, you should be able to discuss everything on both sides. There's good and bad to everything. So how does something not have a bad side? And, and if you do say it, you see people get canceled immediately. And yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. I mean, I've been, I've been censored pretty heavily because I've obviously put, if you put anything out and it's like, I'm not making stuff up. It's, it's reports. It's, it's, it's whatever. And you can't even have, you know, any, you can't have a, a, you have a real discussion. You can't have a conversation. It's so it, it's just been killed immediately. Well, that's, so. that's why Chelsea really wanted to have you on here too, because I think it's important for us, even if we don't share the exact same opinion, it's still important to listen to both sides, I think. And I think that's what's, that is what's missing. I don't think I know that's what's missing from our society is we're not listening to each other. If, if our values don't align, it's immediately you're cut off, done. We're not talking anymore. No, that's not how it should be. We need to be able to listen, have an open mind, keep a perspective. You know, it's not a one and done. It's a, let's, let's figure this out together. Like humans yeah. that were put on this earth to be, together and not have this divisiveness anymore it's absolutely ridiculous um i love it i I agree and it's not and it's by design it's by design that we can't have this conversation and they made us they try to make us hate each other right there's the anti they they just lump everybody anti-vax if you don't want this thing and everybody else is pro-vax and then they, they give arguing points you know and then they just try to kill the conversation by making you feel like an idiot or making you feel stupid or name calling and it's like well let's just have an honest conversation why do you believe what you believe what have you seen and I'll tell you my point, or maybe we can just, you know, and at the end, if you still disagree, that's okay. We can still be friends. Like I've had many conversations at the end. Hey, we can still be friends. Let's just agree to disagree. These are my opinions based off of my experiences of the things that I've seen and the, and the, you know, things that I have read. There's, there's, there's stuff out there, obviously on both sides, where's the truth, you know? And it's like, well, you kind of have to ask questions. In the middle. It's always somewhere in the middle. And that's why conversations are so important. Yeah, it's a great point. Somewhere in the middle lies the truth. And all, and I just like to just go off, you know, the discussions I've had is like, I'm just going to go off what I've seen. How about that? I'll tell you what I've seen. And these are my experiences and guys that I work with. I'm like, what have you seen that has made you think so differently than me? You know, I'm like, I, I've been on certain calls. I've been on the calls. I've seen stuff. It's like, okay, well, this isn't really adding up this way. So what are you seeing that I'm not? Because you know, from my world, real world experiences, it just, it's just not adding up. So please. Quite frankly, like we should be listening to our first responders because they get to see it firsthand. Like, I just don't understand. Like, I guess I lost my faith in humanity a little bit because if we can't even listen to the people who are supposed to be taking care of us, what do we have? Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, and that's that's been a good point, and I've been thinking about that for a long time too. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like we see it, we deal with it daily. I mean, we're the ones there. We were the we were the essential workers not too long ago, 
we're the only ones allowed to work. I mean, us and Uber Eats, right? And now, you know, we're being fired. I mean, thousands and thousands of us are being fired. There's thousands and thousands more that are just walking off the job because they don't want to deal with it. Um, there's, you know, a parallel society that's having, that's being formed out of necessity people that are starting their own ERs where they're not going to discriminate on back status, you know, all these different things that are happening that is just really, you know, honestly bizarre. And it's, it's just kind of forming out of, you know, it's the nature of the beast of where it's going right now. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like you said, the, the essential workers, I mean, really, and I'm not in any way equating you to you know, the workers at Chipotle, but let's say all those people that were essential, um, you know, in 2020 are now getting just really fucked over. I mean, yeah. everyone, all, all the fast food workers and the grocery store workers and, and everybody that was deemed essential is now just, they're, they're burnout, exhausted, miserable, um, weren't getting paid enough. Um, to, and, and now they're really getting the nasty side of society because they have to deal with, you guys have to deal with the really angry citizens. And it's, it's a bizarre reality we're living in right now. It's very, yeah. very bizarre. More and more unhappy people with everything that's going on. People mm-hmm. are losing their jobs. I mean, I lost my job. I mean, it's it's a very difficult very very difficult time and this last year has been major challenge in a lot of different ways um i mean last several years honestly so yeah i mean it it, it, something has to change something's got to give um i'll tell you it feels like the narrative has shifted a little bit though from september till now there's more discussion about different things that was a non-discussion before which i think is interesting and you know it's good i think we need to continue to push to have these conversations you know and like you guys, I, I, I don't mind having conversation with people on the other side. I don't want to be attacked. Obviously, no one wants to be attacked. And, and you guys, and it's like, let's just have a conversation, an honest conversation about whatever. I'm, I'm down for it. Um, it's important. It needs to be had. And I hope that other people will see that. If you see something you don't agree with or you're talking to a friend that maybe you didn't get along with, it's like, oh, have the conversation. Like, hey, well, why aren't we friends anymore? Like, let's just let's just talk about it and, yeah. move, on. and move on. I mean, who cares? You like chocolate ice cream. I like vanilla. So what? Exactly. Right. Yeah. You don't like the color yellow. We're done. I'm not talking. Gosh, yeah, we're done. You're, an, you're, you're an anti-yellower. God, Josh. Uh-uh. No, <laughs> hang it up. Okay. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> I don't like white fire engines. So. Who likes a white that, fire engine? That's a valid point. Or <laughs> the yellow. I'm sorry. Experiment. <laughs> you know, like the. I just don't understand it. Like, why do you have to be white and blue? I don't get I don't, it. Yeah. Is that? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say. I was gonna say oh which county. Goodness. Which county has the white fire engines? I'm like, oh, you know yeah, what? You they are think, weird. You Sorry, guys think I, the white ones cool? That that's cool, but I mean, it's got to be red. Be I red. quite literally like they they drive down the road, and I'm like, <laughs> no. We can all agree. Nobody likes the white fire engines. Okay. Like, <laughs> what is that? You're gonna find front on the white fire engines. Okay, Chelsea. I think. Do you? We, I mean, we can do a hot seat if you want. Go ahead. You want to do hot seat? Okay. We were going to, we weren't going to do hot seat, but we're going to do hot seat because it's more fun than this conversation. Yeah, totally. It's it's less less serious. (laughs) All right. Here we go. If you were stranded on an Island, what are three things that you would take with you? Oh man. Okay. Well, I definitely have my iPhone. I'm going to at least listen to music, watch movies when I get really bored. 
I bring a kettlebell. You got to stay fit. And uh, people allowed? Yeah. Well, I bring my wife. Nice. vacation. Good answer. Absolutely. That sounds kind of nice right now, honestly. I'll take it. And the- I love how you didn't bring your kids. <laughs> vacation. We need a vacation. I love my kids. Don't get me wrong. I love my kids. I'm uh, 100% with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't bring the kettlebell, though, because I feel like if I'm stranded on an island, I'm probably going to be doing some working out, right? Oh, yeah, I would. We're like, going to have to scavenge for food. Workouts, work out. We're going to have to scavenge for food, probably climb a few hills, chop down a few trees yeah. to make a dwelling, you know, like, what's Whatever. The uh, kettlebell. <laughs> <laughs> the rest, we'll, we'll figure it out. It's a tropical island. You don't need shelter. <laughs> All right. What does integrity mean to you? Huh. Well, I feel like I'm living it. I feel like they hired me for my integrity and in sense that I'm willing to do the right thing, even if it means sacrificing everything. And that's where I'm at. Um, I'm being fired for the same reasons they're hiring me. Um, it's that simple. I like that. hundred percent. This is Audra's favorite question because it truly matters. <laughs> truly. It does. You better have the right answer. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> This is where you're going to, you're going to live and die on this one, right? This is where you get cut off. Like your eggs. I'm sorry. How do you like your eggs? Sunny side up over easy. No, Josh, no runny eggs. No. With toast. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, you are my husband. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? It's okay. We can agree to disagree and still be friends. It's fine. Okay, good. I'm glad. Glad I'm not name called and kicked off the show immediately. <laughs> okay, Audra, runny eggs matter. Okay. <laughs> All eggs. No. Nope. Matter. Mm-hmm. There we go. No, 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 no. I discriminate runny eggs. Sorry. <laughs> okay, fine. Fine. I hate them too. How do? You, well, that's kind of irrelevant right now. I'm not ask, ask, asking that question. Um. If you were going to go on a vacation with your wife and it wasn't on a stranded island, where would you go? Um, and it, everything's everything's normal. Everything's normal. Oh, we'd, I'd want to take her back to Hawaii. We went there on our honeymoon. It was short. It was brief. We had to rush back because I was actually taking a test, like mid mid honeymoon. It's just when it landed, so we had to come back early. So we haven't been back since, and I'd love to take her. So one which day. island? Um. I don't know. Let's do some exploring. Let's go to Oahu or love that. Man, let's go. To, I don't know. Whatever. Just any island at this point. Any I'll take yeah. anything. <laughs> and not stranded on it. I'm Got not it. picky. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not picky. Let's just, let's just explore. So I'm good with anything. Okay. Last question. What's the last book that you read? Um, I'm funny how I read books. Cause I read like two or three at a time and I'll read a little bit here and I'll read a little bit there. Um, most recently I've been reading Thomas Paine's common sense and also Will Witt's, um, what is it? How to make friends with your enemies. Is that the name of it? Yeah. I think that's, it's something like that. How to make friends with enemies. And it's just how to have discussions yeah. with the other side. Like we're having just how to have a discussion. Oh, I love so it that. would be, um, will it would be in the show notes because I will look it up. Yeah. <laughs> will Witt is awesome. I love that kid. I mean, he's a young, brilliant, good looking kid, you know, single for the women out there. But uh, he's interesting uh, plug, Josh. This is a match. I'm trying to hook a brother up. He's just a good boys. kid. He's like my nephew. I'm like, you know, he's, he's single. You know, it's like my nephew. Oh he's my gosh. Looking for, uh, looking for I love. Like dad, you know, I was like, I would do that to my kids too. I feel like a proud dad. <laughs> uh, All right. 
15. I have to write this down because I won't remember. Okay. Well, I think that's it. For me, for the record, Thomas Paine's. Common Sense. Common Sense. Okay. I've heard of that book. Um, all right, Josh, thank you for coming on, being willing to open, willing to have an open conversation with us today. For our listeners, if you want to learn more about Josh, you can find him on Instagram at joshsat30. And to learn more about his efforts with firefighter, Firefighters for Freedom, I can talk today, I swear. You can also find them on Instagram at Firefighters for Freedom. All one word, the number four. And Josh Sat is two T's. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Jason. 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 If you've enjoyed the show today or any other episode that we have shared, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite listening app. But more specifically, reviews on Apple Podcasts help tremendously to find more listeners just like you and to book awesome guests like the one today and others in the past. Thanks again for being with us, Josh. It was a tremendously educational and um, honest discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say I was extremely nervous about having this conversation with you, but I'm actually very, very impressed. So you kind of really, yeah, this is, this was awesome. Thank you for coming on. Um, Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Find us on social media at Dear Chiefs Podcast and online at dearchiefs.com. Tune in weekly for the 25,000 foot view of loving a first responder. Audra and Chelsea, over and out. (laughs) 